Uh, as we get ready to dive in, I, I need to uh, offer a quick public apology. Uh, because it's Father's Day, because it's Juneteenth, I, I, I need to let you know that my primary focal point is not on fathers, and it's not on Juneteenth. Uh, you know, and I, I know that in our culture, on special days, you expect a preacher to wrap a sermon around the cultural moment. Uh, and a lot of preachers fall uh, into that trap, I will call it, to try to make this word that we have somehow correspond to the cultural moment. Uh, and I don't know if I'm going to do a very good job to that, so let me do my best attempt really quickly. To, I'm going to shout out to the dads, and uh, I'm going to shout out to uh, Freedom Uncovered. Uh, and so there we have it. Uh, I, I, I've hit my, uh, my cultural moment right quick. Uh, but as we get ready to dive into the word, uh, it's the summer season. Time for backyard barbecues, pool parties, family reunions, all of that stuff is coming up. And there's a point in all of those uh, events where food may happen to be involved, where somebody gives the signal that, that it's time to eat. Now, if we were in a proper setting, someone would come along well-dressed and say, dinner is served. Uh, but not in the hood. Uh, in the hood, where, where I'm from, I don't know about where you're from, it, it usually goes like this. When the food is ready, somebody steps forward and they say four, uh, yeah, four words. They, they say, let me see if y'all know, what do they say? Come and get it. There you go. They say, come and get it, right? And if you was paying attention to the title, you, you know, you should have known that. I don't know what you're saying your family, but I still yell. You know, I tell the boys, come and get it. Dinner's ready, something. Right. Um, and when we think about those four words, they signify that it's time to eat what has been prepared. And we tend to think fondly about those four words, come and get it. But what about when what's being served is the judgment of God? How does it feel when God says, come and get it? And you have no choice in the matter. He's not giving you the option to come and get it. He's just saying, come and get it. Uh, in our text today, we'll see just such a moment. If you've been with us for a while, you know we have been in this series in the book of Amos called like a neighbor. And uh, we've seen lots of themes uh, uh, throughout this book, uh, things regarding social justice and our treatment or mistreatment of one another, specifically Israel and her neighbors. And we've seen exactly how God felt about unrighteous behavior in Israel's neighbors and especially how he felt about unrighteous behavior in his own people, Israel. Last week, my brother, Pastor Fonz, uh, told us what God uh, was going to do, right, uh, to the things that Israel prized in their hearts. Their, as he said, their ivory inlaid summer and winter uh, homes, their military uh, strongholds, their fortified military strongholds. And, you know, I was thinking as I was preparing, like last week would have been a really 
good Sunday for Father's Day because guys, we like to, to, to talk junk about our stuff, right? You know, now whether that's the latest kicks I got on or my fresh ride or my new toy or whatever it might happen to be, you, you know, guys, we kind of like to, even if you're not the flossing type, you just want to rock it and, and let people notice it, you, you know, so they can say, oh, I see you got that. You're like, yeah, you know, Lord is good, you know, uh, something along, no, you know, if you're trying to be spiritual, you, you know, if you're not trying to be spiritual, you're like, yeah, you know, I got that, uh, you, you know, so uh, it would have been a great time last week because guys have that tendency to want to kind of floss their stuff, but as we dive in today, what we're going to notice is that it doesn't begin, begin with man talk, all right? Last week, Fon said that God was about to blow their stuff up, all their, their stuff that they were bragging about, right? But this week, he doesn't begin with man talk, but with talk to a particular group of women. As God has a word to them first in this continuing judgment. Join me as I read Amos chapter 4. If you got it on your phones, if you brought your Bible, uh, do people still carry their Bibles? I brought mine. You, you know, just in case. Uh, really just for show. This is King James. But I just can't preach and not bring my Bible into the pulpit. You, 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 know, you know, I'm not coming out to King James this week. Uh, uh, this is out of the ESV primarily. Uh, and so Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Notice what it says. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest, I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devour. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is, is his thought, 
who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Lord, add a blessing to the reading of his word, even when it's a scary word. As I said prior to our scripture reading, this chapter begins with Amos talking to the women of Israel. This chapter begins with a reference to cows, which he later says that they asked their husbands to bring them a drink. And only women have husbands in this context. It's not in our day. And so we are left to ponder the question, is calling a woman a heifer biblical? Who knew? You know, all this time, all this time. Now, some of you guys are young, but all this time. I thought my grandmama and them and my auntie and them, you know, talking about the little girls that I might like. You, you know, I can remember a time, you know, I got my first little piece of jewelry, Brother Don. I had a nice little silver chain. And I had the audacity to give it to this girl around the block. And my grandmother said, quote, you go around the block and you get my chain from that heifer. And I didn't know that my grandmother was a theologian <laughs> at that point in time. Now, now seriously, because I don't want y'all running out of here saying Pastor Flynn said, <laughs> I can call any woman I feel like a heifer, a heifer. But what we do need to know is that in this text, God is calling them that. Right? And here's why. Matthew Henry 18th century commentator says in his commentary that the kind or cows of Bashan, which were a breed of cattle, very large and strong, especially if, though bred there, they were fed upon the mountain of Samaria where the pastures were extraordinarily fat. The cows of Bashan, which were wanton and unruly, would not be kept within the bounds of their own pasture. Listen here to the description of these animals but broke through the hedges, broke down all the fences, and trespassed upon the neighboring grounds, and not only so, but pushed and gored the smaller cattle that were not a match for them, unquote. And so Amos, as we've learned, who was a, a herdsman, Amos is calling them this uh, because this is the world that he knows, and their behavior is reminiscent of these unruly animals. And so he's giving him what he's got. God is allowing him to speak his language, as it were, uh, with respect to these women. Uh, and there's so much more. I wish we had a lot of time. They had the audacity to only give me a half hour. Uh, that's what I saw somewhere. Uh, you, you know, and I, I, uh, Pastor Sonny, in his wisdom, uh, gave me two hours to get through this chapter. Uh, he, what, what he said was, quote, y'all couldn't handle any more than that. So, so, you, you know, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, so, 90 minutes it is then. Uh, start the clock now. I'm so gracious. I, I am. All right. Um, I, I want to speed through the first five verses and then slow it down for the remainder of the chapter. All right. And, and so, as we go through these first five verses, uh, in verses two and three, God continues his judgment of Israel for their mistreatment and abuse of the poor and needy. 
This is what we see in these first couple of verses. He gets on these women. And, and what you need to know a little bit about these women, and I, I, man, it's good stuff in there. Um, the, the word that's used in the text, it says they told their husbands, bring me a drink. Um, the word for husbands is not the usual Hebrew word for husbands. It's a rare word for husbands that has the connotation or another uh, interpretation of the word is masters, right? And, and so Amos is doing this wonderful play on words. So, so in other translations, if you read, uh, you know, it's probably half of the translations I looked at said masters and the other half said husbands. And so you have these strong women who are, who are calling their husbands masters and yet domineering their husbands saying, go get me a drink, right? And, and the larger context of that is these husbands or these these men who are uh, in power are, are feeling so put upon by their women uh, that because these women want to live these lavish lifestyles and they say, you better go get it, man. You, 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 know, uh, you, you know how it is sometimes. You know, he better bring that check. You know, I'm just saying. Uh, right, right. Uh, so he said, go get, they say, go get it, man. And these men, now, again, it's, it's on them. I'm not excusing their behavior, but they, it, it, the, the, the pressure that these unruly women are putting on their husbands causes them to go and do things uh, unnecessarily so to, to get the resources so that their women can live lavish lifestyles. And so they begin to oppress the poor and needy so they can get more, so they can go home and say, here you go, honey. So honey can sit back, you know, housewives of Bashan uh, right here, right, and, and, and sip, you know, my ties and do their thing. Right. This, this is this is really this is what's going on in the larger cultural backdrop of that day when Amos comes along and says, you heifers. Right. This is this is what's what's going on. Right. Uh, th this is what's going on here. Now, uh, he promises these women and the larger community, he promises them slavery and exile. And, and then in taunting fashion. I wish you could pick up the tone of the text. It's a taunting fashion that Amos uh, is, 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 is speaking to them in. He encourages them to keep on doing the false worship that they've been doing. You ever tell somebody, keep on, just keep on? Now, you don't mean for them to keep on when you tell them to keep on. Every parent in here knows that when you tell your child, uh, just keep messing around. Now, you're not saying keep messing around. <laughs> right, right. And this is what Amos is, is this is the, the tone that Amos is coming to them in, right? Uh, he, he encourages them to keep on doing this false worship that they've been doing. Dr. Tony Evans in his commentary states that, uh, quote, when the nation split into northern and southern kingdoms, King Jeroboam of Israel built an altar at Bethel. All right. Do you guys have that map I, uh, I sent you guys? Uh, I want you to see some of the geography of the place. He built an altar at Bethel and made two golden calves uh, for the people to worship in order to prevent them from traveling to Judah and the temple at Jerusalem, right? So remember now, Israel is not one giant collective entity. Israel is a kingdom in the north. Judah is a kingdom in the south. They got split uh, after Solomon's reign, right? And so... The capital of former nation Israel was Jerusalem. But once it got split into two separate north and south, 
uh, this man, this king of the north, and this is just wacky. Now, everybody's seen the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows Moses. Everybody knows what they got in trouble for, right? You know, they come out of Israel. He parts the Red Sea for them. They get over to the other side. Moses goes up on the mountain to talk to God, and he ain't gone five minutes, and all of a sudden, they're making an idol, and for some reason in this portion of history and in this culture, cows are a big thing because they built an idol of a golden calf. Now, and we know how that story ended, right? If you saw the movie, Charlton Heston comes down and throws the tablets at him, and boom, everybody blows up. If you didn't see the movie and you read your text, it's even worse. <laughs> right, right, right. If you just read your text, I mean, you know. And, and, and so you, I'm, I'm thinking like, Really? I mean, if you're going to make an idol, don't make a cow, God, a cow idol at least. I mean, we see how God felt about that, but this man had the audacity to make two. Right? And, and, and to, to prevent. Imagine power saying, I want to stop y'all from going to worship at the correct spot to the proper God. I'm going to set up a different spot to a false God so that you have to come there and not go there. You know, that, that's, a, that's a heavy thought that this king, this evil king, would do something like that, right? And, and so he, he set this, uh, these two golden calves uh, up here and, and to prevent them from traveling back down south to the other nation, right? This was in direct violation, he goes on to say, of the Mosaic law. Thus, Amos sarcastically encourages them to continue in the idolatry they love, so that they can see where devotion to false gods ends, unquote. You know, as pastors, as leaders, as those who care for the flock, oftentimes we may see you headed in the wrong direction. And we do our best, we pray, we talk, we counsel. And then there comes a point in time where we say, bro, I'm praying for you. You go do what you got to do. I mean, I've had to tell somebody, do what you got to do. Because no, I can't make somebody act right. You know, you can't make nobody act right. Right? And, and so at some point in time, we got to say, well, you know what? The Lord's just going to have to let you experience the fruit of your folly. Now, I don't want that for anybody, and I don't think Amos wants that for them, but they have gone way far down the road to get this, to get to this point. I'll tell you, I mean, if you've been reading through Amos, and I've spent significant time, I've spent the last 22 days reading through the book of Amos, right? Just a, a bit here, a bit there, and, and journaling on it, right? And one of the big questions that's come up in my mind, I'm not going to deal with it here because I don't have the answer to it, uh, is how long did God wait to send Amos to talk to Israel to deliver this message? How long did he let them flow in their foolishness. We don't get it at the beginning. Now, sometimes God gives us timestamps. Noah, he said, hey, 120 years, and then I'm going to deal with it. So, you know, you got a clock, hey, you know. Uh, uh, other times he said, you know what, 70 years, and I'm going to deal with it, or you're going to be on punishment for 70 years. So sometimes you get a termination point on your punishment or a termination point on God's grace before he deal with your punishment. Here, we don't know. I, I don't know how long Israel was, was acting a fool before God said, you know, Amos, go drop this letter off for me. Go give him this message. I don't know that. 
And, and I think that the Lord gives us this lack of knowledge because he's, he hasn't told me in my life, you know, Flynn, you got exactly 17 years, two months, three days, and four hours to act a fool, and then I'm going to deal with you. Because you know what I would have did? I would have went 17 years, two months, two days. And then I say, Lord, I just want to turn my life over to you. Uh, you know, Jesus, some of y'all would have took it to how many seconds left? How many seconds left? You know who you are. All of this has been a recurring theme in this series. If you've been with us these last three or four weeks, You've seen this, this theme of dealing with Israel in her mistreatment of one another, dealing with Israel's neighbors, right? We've seen them turn their backs on God, which in turn makes them mistreat others in an individual and a systemic way. But let, let me be clear. I, you know, there are those who believe that the, the purpose or the major theme of Amos is how we treat each other. All right, and that is certainly a theme in, in Amos. No, no doubt about it. The mistreatment of the poor, the oppression of the weak is definitely something that we see as unmistakable, but it is not the major theme. It, it is not the major theme. The major theme is our treatment of God. In fact, all of the mistreatment of others, all the horizontal relationships, is all a result of the mistreatment of God. So, so do not be confused between cause and effect. Right? We cannot affect how we deal with each other horizontally until we first get our vertical squared away. That's what Megan has told us. That's what Fonz has told us. Amen. All right, that, that's, that's clap worthy, but don't let it just be a, a clap moment because it sounds so good in church. Let's just get straight with God and everything else will work out. Getting straight with God ain't always that easy. I mean, it's one thing to come up here and repent, Lord, forgive me, I'm a heathen. Right, right, I'm just a no good, I'm just a knucklehead from the east side. That's, that's my tagline. Right, right, you, you know, uh, I, I, that keeps me humble. That keeps me remembering where God found me at. Right, right, you, you know, I don't care where he takes me to, what he allows me to do, I'm always just going to be a knucklehead from the east side. Right? Now, I, hopefully I graduated from knucklehead tendencies, <laughs> knucklehead speech, right, knucklehead behaviors, but that is still who I was when he found me. Right? And, and, and so... I remember God did this. He came, found me, got me squared away with him. I ran away from him. He came and got me again. I'll tell you more about that later. Right? He got me squared away with him, and that allows me to be kind of okay with you. Because if it's not for God, I, our patience with people just ain't that deep. I mean, how many of y'all, raise your hand, how many of y'all could do without, could, could really do without people? People are problematic. I mean, y'all come with issues. I mean, y'all got quirks. And they ain't my quirks. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, uh, you don't like the same music I do. What's wrong with you? You don't like the same food I do. I mean, like, you know, you don't like the same team I do. Some of y'all like that yellow and blue team. I mean, you know, that's enough, that's enough to be done with you right there. Right, right, I mean, you know. I resisted the tendency to wear my Spartan hat. I knew I could have got away with it, but I was trying to be spiritual. I mean, it's so easy for us 
if we're not focused on the vertical relationship to be done with the horizontal relationship. And, that, that, and nobody's exempt from that. Not the wife that I love and would take a, a clip for. I would die for her in a minute, but if my vertical relationship ain't right, even that will wear thin. My children, who I love dearly, who are eating me out of the house and home, I would gladly say, go get a job, 12-year-old. You, you, you know, you're eating too much. Right, this is not what I signed on for, Happy Father's Day. You still eat all my food, you, you know. I think for Father's Day, all children should proclaim a fast. Y'all pray for me. I don't know if they're going to let me back. I don't know if they're going to let me back. I don't know if they're going to let me back up here. So we've seen all this in Amos before. What's new, you ask? What's new? I'm glad you asked. What's new is the rest of the chapter. There is a, a turning point, I will argue, in this chapter. In fact, it's such a strong turning point that I really believe the first five verses in chapter four should have been the last five verses in chapter three, the way, the way it's written, right? Uh, because when we get to verse six, I mean, the whole tone of this thing changes, and it's not a pretty thing, right, is what we're going to see. Um, in the remainder of this chapter, God starts explaining to Israel what he's been up to in trying to get their attention. God has been active for however long it took all of the things we're going to discuss in a moment, and each of those things is him trying to get their attention. Right, and so we're going to slow it down here and kind of walk through uh, the, these seven situations that God engineered with the express purpose of getting their attention so that they would repent. Seven situations that God engineered. I want us to be really clear here because some of our theologies are going to get confronted in, this, in Amos chapter 4 here. Things that we don't believe a good, kind, loving, generous, gracious God would ever do. And, and my only problem with that, because I was side with you, is that it's in the book. And, and so if my theology runs into the Bible and the Bible says something different, guess which one's got to change? My, my theology has to shift to get in line with the scriptures. My understanding of God has to shift to get in line with the scriptures. And so I got to pray, God, help me understand, because I don't understand. I didn't think you were that kind of way, and yet here it is, right? Uh, he lists not only seven situations, but he lists five responses from Israel in these situations. And so let's run down the situations that God orchestrated. You guys with me? Yes, sir. All right. In verse 6, he gave them what the, what the text called cleanness of teeth. Now, this does not mean that God gave them good dental care. This is not what this means, right? What it means is he gave them a food shortage, right? Anybody had trouble getting baby formula lately? What, what did they do when provision stopped? It says they didn't return to God. That, that, that's no repentance. So they run around, well, you know, hey, you know, uh, it's rough times, I guess, you know, it's the, it's the way the old cookie crumbles, 
you know, uh, man, it's, you know, just, they, they, they're, they're categorizing it, they're characterizing, characterizing it in any kind of way they can, but they're missing the fact that God was up to something. That's what they're missing. In verses 7 and 8, he sent drought and crop failure. Now, again, I don't know the timeline. I don't know, was Monday the food shortage and then Tuesday the crop failure? I doubt it. Right? Crop failure takes time. Right, right? You, you know, uh, and so I, 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 I'm, I'm imagining that this is taking months of time uh, from, to go from one situation where God was trying to get their attention to another situation where God was trying to get their attention. And what did they do when they had crop failure and drought? They, they didn't return to him. No repentance. And in verse 9, he sent blight, mildew, and locusts. Blight, mildew, and locusts. Now, I don't know if you're paying attention, but there's an escalation happening here. Right? Just a food shortage. And then droughts and the other thing, whatever, you know, with the plants, right? And now three things here, right, right? You know, and it won't always work out that way, but we'll see this escalate, not necessarily in number, but in severity, right? And so when they got blight, mildew, and locusts, what did they do? They, they didn't return to him. And in verse 10, he sent a plague and death and great loss, and he stuffed their faces into it. Right, right. Plague, no, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, what, 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 he, it said plague and death and great loss. Talked about the young men falling by the sword. He sent a plague, so sickness swept across the land, and then he put their faces down into it so they could get a good whiff of it. And how might they respond when it got that severe? What did they do? They didn't return to him. In verse 11, he said, Sodom and Gomorrah-like destruction. I don't even know what that's like. We don't get a picture of that in, in, in the scriptures anywhere. We, I mean, I guess if you saw the Sodom and Gomorrah movie, you didn't need to see the sequel. Right, I mean, you, you know, I mean, but God says, I, I did that to y'all. Sodom and Gomorrah too. Right, right, you, you know. Uh, and, and what did they do when they got the second half of Sodom and Gomorrah? It says they did not return to him. Now, let, let's just stop here for a moment. Because if you like me, uh, I, I just bring myself to the scriptures. So I'm reading all of this, and in, in the best theologically framed construct of a sentence I could come up with because I'm like, well, what's going on with these people? And I simply said these words in English, not Greek or Hebrew, they just stupid. Because you know, you know when we read the Bible and we read Israel did this, this, and this, and this, and God did that, 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 and that, and we've just seen seven increasingly severe scenarios for which Israel did not respond correctly to God, and you might be sitting there wondering, what's wrong with them people? Because you're thinking in your oh-so-spiritual high-mindedness, that wouldn't have been me. I wouldn't have went out like that. I mean, you know, as soon as I got home and the, and the light bulb had blown, I would have been like, Lord, 
Soon as I got out there, my car had just a flat from the slow leak I already knew I had. I'm like, Jesus. Right? No, you wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Right, right. You know, we, we, we all too quickly when we read Bible stories, sometimes we take ourselves out of the equation and we start thinking, God, dumb people was pitiful. I mean, so it's, I don't know how you put up with them people, God. Right? You, you know, we start thinking a little sedity, you know, like, that was certainly not me. That's certainly not me. I would have I heard your still, small voice. I would have heard it, and I would have responded, Oh, Father, forgive me, you, you know, because I, you know, I didn't mean to utter that one curse word, just the one, that one time. I, did, I heard you, Jesus, right? That, that's how we act like when we see them in there doing that way back then. And it, it doesn't feel like I would ever... Do something like that. Them people is just stupid. I would have caught a clue by now. I said to myself, I don't do this often, but I'm going to do it today. Look, look at your neighbor. Left, right, don't matter. Even on Father's Day. If children, I give you permission to look at your father right now if he's in here with you. And, and, and go ahead and tell him this. You're not as smart. I don't hear y'all. I don't hear y'all. I said, look at your neighbor. Look at y'all. Hey, look at your neighbor. Tell them you're not as smart as you think you are. And I'm not either. So everybody feeling good about themselves right now. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. The prayer team will be here afterwards to, to help you get your self-esteem back together. I want to let you know I'm not that smart either. I have just two more verses to go. And in them, God begins to say, come and get it. But I feel the need to share how dumb I was. That's the beauty of being a preacher. God will tell you to come expose yourself to the people. <laughs> so that they can be encouraged to expose themselves to me. Right, right. And so because I'm a knucklehead from the east side, I don't mind. It's, it's, it's all good. Um, you see me now, you know, 53, kind of got my head mostly screwed on right on most days, right? You, you know, love, husband of one wife, decent father on most days, right? That's, that's me today. Uh, not too long ago in the distant past, uh, I was this backslidden Christian, right, uh, living two lives, right? So, you know, you take it back to uh, Eli's age, 20-something. Uh, in, in fact, from, let's just say, sophomore year in high school, all the way through I was about 25, uh, there was this d double-agent Christian thing I had going on. Uh, you know, I was in the choir, singing praises. I was breaking in lockers at school, stealing calculators and books and reselling them. Because I come from a family of hustlers. And so we, when you come from a family of hustlers, you learn how. Now, I had a legit hustle, and I had an illegit hustle. Right? Now, nobody knew about the illegit hustle except for me and my, my crime friends. Right? You know, and I graduated from high school illegitimacy to college illegitimacy. Right? And... and when I got to college, uh, I didn't go into college saying, you know, hey, here I am, this Christian. Oh, how can I talk to you about Jesus? Uh, I, I went into college saying, 
uh, who, who got the cars? Anybody play poker? You, you know, and so uh, that, that began for me this, this long trek. You know, poker's popular now. You got poker on ESPN, poker channels and all that, poker apps, some of y'all, please delete those. Uh, uh, you, you, you know, uh, it's popular now, right? But in my day, poker was still back room, smoke field, and all that kind of stuff. And that started for me in college, right? Uh, now, I'm still saved. I got saved when I was eight years old, February 27, 1977, in my mother's living room, my parents' living room, right? I mean, I think it was a true and genuine conversion, but I was certainly a prodigal son, right? Most certainly, right? And, and so this, this thing, I don't want to belabor the moment, but this thing took me through my, my early adult life, so much so that I found myself a member of what's called the Windsor Social Club, right? Now, that might sound like something fancy. It was just a a card room in Windsor where poker players gathered to play poker, right? Uh, you know, I had a key and everything. I never had a key to nothing in Canada. The only thing I ever had a key to was a poker joint, right? Uh, uh, and so, how, now, all this time, me and God are having this discussion, right? I'm saying, God, there's nothing wrong with gambling. I can't find it in the Bible nowhere. God, you gave me skills. Let me use them, you, you know? God, I mean, I'm saying, you know, God, hey, uh, you said, you know, you uh, control the, the cast of the dice. Uh, you know, God, you didn't get on them when they gambled for your cloak. It, it just said that they did. It didn't say it was bad. I mean, so I'm having all these theological conversations with God over the years, right? And, and so he's been trying to get my attention. But let me tell you guys really quickly how he finally got my attention, because this is how dumb I was, Right? Now, I'm not trying to teach y'all how to play poker, but I'm going to teach you how to play poker so you can not play poker. <laughs> All right? I was so good at it, I considered making it my profession, right? I, I would have been what might be referred to today as a semi-professional gambler, right? Uh, and, and so I'm in the Windsor Social Club one night, right? Um, and we're playing Texas Hold'em, right? Don't Google it. Don't do nothing like that. You know, it's poker, right? And... The way this game works is everybody gets two cards, right, to start. And I get an ace and a queen. All right, now, if you don't know poker, that don't mean nothing to you. Some of y'all blackjack players, please stay out of the casino. Uh, all right, it's not blackjack. But this is a, a decent starting hand. So, you know, I bet I lose. All right, we ante up, we do it again. I get, guess what, I get, I get an ace-queen again, right? Uh... Okay, I bet, because I know, I know the statistics. Sooner or later, this hand is going to win for me. It's supposed to probably win maybe one in six times, right? So, so I, I get this hand, this ace-queen again. One, two, three, four, five, six. I get this ace-queen every time, and I push money in, and I'm playing my best poker. I'm bluffing. I'm doing all the stuff I know how to do, and, and I keep losing, right, right? Uh, I, I get it 13 times straight. I go broke. I leave the Windsor Social Club, go to the money machine, get some more money, go back, sit down, ante up again, and I get ace-queen again. What? Right? And, and I proceed to get ace-queen 21 straight times. After which I say, okay, Lord, I hear you. <laughs> now, in the text... They got seven situations for which they did not hear. 
But because I was remedial, slow learning class, he gave it to me 21 straight times, went through several hundred dollars, maybe a thousand, whatever it was, to learn this lesson. I get up from the table. I say, okay, fellas, I'm done. Now, if you're a gambler, you know, that normally that means I'm done for today. Right? I, I can't take it no more. Hey, sorry, Flynn. It was a rough night. Yeah, you know, come back with your money next week. That, that's what they were interpreting that as. I said, no, no, no. You don't understand. I'm done. Take my keys to the Windsor Social Club out of my pocket. I put them on the table. And I walk away from that lifestyle. Because God was so gracious to me to give me 21 knocks at, at the door to say, that's not what I want you to do with your life, son. You know, that happened to me when I was 25 or so. I'd been clean from gambling for a few months, and then I meet a young lady who comes from a family that has some gambling addiction in it. And so imagine the life I might not have if I come to her with a gambling addiction, right? Those three boys might not be in existence. The wonderful wife I've had for 24 years might not be here. All that she has poured into me by way of my ministry to help me be the man that I am today might not have ever happened if I don't respond to what God is trying to do in me in that moment. And so the purpose of me sharing my story was simply to ask you a question. Has God been trying to get your attention? I don't know your narrative. I don't know how God knocks at your door. He spoke very plainly to me. I'm a mathematician by trade. And so I know that the odds of getting the same hand 21 straight times, I, I, I will go ahead and call that a miracle. Right, and God used something that I could see so vividly because I know these numbers. Like, well, God, that is certainly you. And you are clearly against me. So I need to get on your team and do this thing your way. Right, right? Has he been trying to get your attention? Has he been trying to get our attention? I, I will argue in our day and age that it starts at the individual level. Right, that he tries to get our individual attention before he tries to get our collective attention. All right, it's too hard for us to agree on anything collectively. So, so what's been your knock at your door to see if you are correctly interpreting the course of events in your life as God trying to get your attention? And even more importantly is what have you, how have you answered? Are you listening? Are you listening? If you're not listening, then you need to see and hear how this story ends. As we go back to our text and as we wrap up this chapter and this message, notice what God says in verse 12. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. I wish I was Brother Jason and I had to this, a, a smooth enough James Earl Jones type of voice to convey the intensity of this. I mean, my Darth, my best Darth Vader. I mean, because it's the statement should send shivers up our spines. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. This is 
an ominous statement. I mean, I wish we had sound effects, thunder rolling, deep drums beating or something to, to make us feel the intensity uh, of this statement that Amos gives to Israel following seven times that God has tried to get your attention. And God, help us. Do you see how, how the severity increased in each of those situations? And that's not going to compare to when God says, come and get it. That was God just knocking at the door. Anybody in there? Anybody listening? Anybody in there? Anybody listening? I got to knock a little harder. Hello? Right, is anybody paying attention? I'm trying to get y'all attention. Right, I've taken your food. I've, I've killed your young men. I've already demolished your, your, your resources. I've done miraculous stuff that you should have harkened back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're still not coming back to me. You're still saying, oh, that was just a run of bad luck. The market's going to shift soon. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. The Hebrew writer states that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's Hebrews 10.31. The Israelites might have been wondering what God. Maybe they had drifted so far away for so long that they forgot who they was dealing with. You know, it's possible to get so far away for so long that you forget who you were, you know? You forget how you was raised. You know, you see people on the Grammy, such one, you know, thank God who was ahead of my life, you, you know? I know I just, you know, dropped this, you know, rump-shaking, bootylicious album, but, uh, uh, you know, I used to sing in the choir, right? You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so I just, you know, thank God for, you know, this Grammy, uh, right? Like, what God? That's not the guys you were singing about when you was in, 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 you know, young Detroit. You know, that's not the guys you was singing about when you was in youth ministry. That's not the guy you was, no, no, no. You ain't talking about that guy because you were talking about that guy, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying and doing what you're doing. So, so you, you know, it, what guy, do, do they, have, they, have they forgotten uh, about this guy since they were worshiping these false ones? Maybe they did forget. I doubt it, but maybe. And the sad part about us in our day is that you might be wondering what God, too. You know, we have it in us, this, this superpower. It's a really bad superpower that we got, y'all. All right. we, we have this power to try to, to construct or deconstruct or reconstruct God the way we want him to be. And so, you know what? The God I'm going to construct is cool with me doing this. He ain't cool with the other stuff that you're doing. But, you know, with me and God, we got an understanding. You know, Jesus is my homeboy, so he, he feels me. You know, he on my heart. Right? I mean, you know, you say stuff like that, you are constructing a God of your own making to suit your own kind of a, you know. I mean, I want a God. I, listen, let me tell you, if I get to construct my own God, this is the one I want. He's going to always give me everything I want, even if it's foolish. Right, right. He's never going to tell me no. Right, right. But then I started thinking. That would be a horrible guy, because I don't have the time to know what I want. I mean, I still struggle with going through the drive-thru. My wife, 25 years, she still tell me, you know we was coming here. <laughs> you, you, you know, and you, st you still don't know what you want. You don't order but three things on the menu. You can't, you can't. Now, you, you know, I'm like, I mean, if God gave you everything you want, you'd be jacked up. You better be happy. God, God tells us no. 
Right, right, you know. Because some of y'all would have got that man you was uh, trying to get when you was 17. Some of you guys would have got that woman. She was fine, but she was crazy. <laughs> right, imagine if you, Lord, please let me have her. Okay. So, yeah, this place would be empty. Oh, yeah, we all be in jail. We'd be in an insane asylum or something. It'd be a, a mess. Let, let's, let's stay with the one true and living God, right? So, so verse 13 told them and tells us, listen to how, th this is when you know you're in trouble. He's the guy who makes mountains and creates wind. He's the guy who tells us what he's thinking. He's the guy who turned morning into darkness for three days straight in Egypt, right? He's the guy who uses the earth as his footstool. He is Jehovah or Yahweh, Lord of the armies. God, why do you need to tell me you are Lord of the armies? Why not uh, you know, uh, I'm, Je you know, I'm the Jehovah Nisi, you know, uh, I'm with the banner, right? You know, why not, why not that one that the Lord's in front of us? No, no, no. See, because you haven't been listening to me these seven times, because I, you haven't paid attention, you haven't repented, you haven't turned to me, I cannot be that soft, gentle father who's going to give you a great big hug. All right? I, I had to come against you with all the forces at my disposal, and God help us if God has to adopt such a posture against us. He does not want to adopt that posture against us. But, you, you know, and I'm saying us, it's right here in Israel, right? This is what's going on with Israel. But, but the question has to be asked. Otherwise, it's a history lesson. What about you? What about me? Is he about to tell us to come and get it? I, I want to read from Hebrews because we, we're familiar with that verse. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, right? Uh, uh, I, I want to read that verse in its larger context, if you would. And we're going we're gonna to get out of here. I, I'm sure I'm above my 30, but beneath my 90, so I'm feeling really good about myself, uh, you know, right now. Um, Hebrews chapter 10. Pick it up at verse 26, right? Now, this is important because... If we're not careful, we can relegate this series and this lesson to lessons about Israel that also have a kind of a moral of the story for us, right? And that would be a dangerous thing for us to do. If we're even less careful, we'll say something like, well, you know, that was under the law, but we're under grace, right? And all of that stuff is covered for in the atonement, right? And that would also be a dangerous place to find oneself, right? Uh, and, and so to prove that, I don't want it to be my opinion versus yours, we run to the New Testament, deep into the New Testament, right? And, and so the Hebrew writer, a little bit about Hebrews, Hebrews is written to the saints, right? As are every other book in the New Testament outside the Gospels, which you, you know, can have mixed audiences. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, notice what it says. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. It says, if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Listen to the words, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire about to consume the adversaries. This is not hell. This is not hell that the Hebrew writer is talking about, right? Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
How much worse punishment do you think will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know the one who said, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge who? What people? Now, that dumb folks. Church down the street. His people. Now, if you're having trouble with his people, just use the two-letter word, us. If you say, this is in reference to us. And then we get to the oh-so-familiar verse. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, I'm going to wrap up. We don't live in an age where folks are spanking their kids anymore. Except maybe in your house. Hopefully. But how many of y'all remember way back when? When you did something that you knew you was going to get the death penalty for. Right? And you knew that it was coming. Soon as mama got home, as soon as dad got home, and if you can recall way back when the feeling that you had inside at knowing that judgment was coming, there was no talking my way out of it. Mama didn't tell you, dad didn't tell you, when I get home, it's on. Right? My mother made me wait eight hours for a whooping one time while she was on the phone talking to her friends about what I had done and what she was going to do in my earshot. I'm still thinking about calling the people for that one. I, I mean, you, she made, and I'm just like, I had knots in my stomach. I'm like, oh, God, can we just get it over with? You know what I mean? It was, it was so, right? And, and this was just a human mom, just a human mom that I knew I had offended grossly and I had just desserts coming, right? And if I was, if that still sends minor shivers down my spine and just remembering it with a human mom who gonna get tired after she beat me for so long. She's finite. So I know I can, I can survive. What must, it, what must it be like? The living God who's done his very best. I know we can't see it in the text, but all those seven situations was an act of God's grace and mercy. We may not feel like it's an act of God's grace and mercy, but every time God tries to get your attention and not kill you, quick, quick check, the wages of sin is what? No, 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 the wages of sin is you're going to be broke for a while. Wages of sin is you might get a sniffle. Wages of sin is they're going to steal your car. Wages of sin is she's going to leave you. Right? See, we, we think short. The, wages, the, the price tag for sin has never changed. So every time I sin, big or small, I deserve, I deserve, let me say it one more time, I deserve to drop dead on the spot. I drive 56, I should drop dead and my car should crash. I think an evil thought, I should drop dead. I decide to put something in my mouth that ain't food. Right, there's some hurtful substance in my temple. I deserve for that puff to be the last puff I ever take. 
Every single time I commit an act that I know to be sin, I deserve. Let me hear you say it. I deserve. It's, see, see, we got this mindset, folks, that we deserve the mercy, grace, blessings, and all that stuff of God. Nobody deserves any of that. We, that's all grace and mercy. Never tell God, God, give me what I deserve. Please take that lesson from me. Because if he give you what you deserve, you won't make it through the day. And so, if I know I deserve to die, and he lets me only go through a food shortage, I'm saying, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. I'm so sorry. You know, I'm hungry, but I'm sorry. Right? Your mom ever sent you to bed without dinner? Right, right. Or if he lets Pookie Num come and liberate me from some of my stuff. Thank you, Jesus. Pookie Num could have shot me. Right? I could be dead. Right? You know, you get unexpected breakdowns. Stuff just happening. Stuff don't just happen. The God we serve made shoes last for 40 years for the children of Israel. So don't think it. That means he can make my hoopty last for 300,000 miles. He can make my new car break down today. So we need to ask God to elevate our radar so that when stuff happens in our world, I don't just think stuff is happening in my world. I'm saying, God, is that you? And do I need to do a quick check? Right? I'm not saying everything that go wrong is a result of personal sin. We live in a fallen world. Stuff happens. But... Everything that happens should cause us to look back and say, is that you? And wait for an answer. Right? That, that's what it's supposed to do because I don't want us to be the people who got to fall into the hands of the living God. Next week, Pastor Sonny is going to come and share what's on God's menu. We don't see the menu. You want to read ahead. Chapter 5 is even more dire than chapter 4. Right? All he's saying today is, I tried with y'all. Okay, you go ahead and do what you do. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to come get it. Amen? God bless you, saints. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.